Hello and welcome back to Podcast, the number one podcast for product teams. On today's episode, I sat down with Liana Suleiman, serial entrepreneur and chief product officer and co-founder at Pollen. Pollen helps amplify brands by helping them convert social followers into a seller community. I love Liana's story of how micro failures can lead you through the necessary iterations to validate the market opportunity, your business model, and product market fit. Liana is super smart, thoughtful, and intentional in her work, and I'm excited for you to hear what she has to say. So let's get started. Hey, Liana, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rob. Thanks for inviting me to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So to to start things out, Liana, can you give a a quick introduction of yourself, your background, and what you're doing today? Sure. Um, I identify myself as a serial entrepreneur, having started up a few businesses, uh, mostly in the high-tech industry as well as the food food and food and bakery industry. Um, I am currently the chief product officer and co-founder at Pollen. We're a community group by platform that wants to enable more people to earn income from FMCG grants in Southeast Asia. Prior to that, I was the late co-founder at Gimme. Uh, we do enterprise loyalty and gamification software. We service uh, large uh, telco, media, and uh, retail brands here in Southeast Asia. So while I was there, um, interestingly, we, did, we also did a product pivot to the white label platform model where you know, I let the uh, you know, increase in re- 10 times increase in revenue as well as grew the team uh, three times across uh, three markets, uh, mainly Singapore, Indonesia, as well as uh, Philippines. Very cool. And so you're at Pollen now, you're the chief product officer, and, and you started back in 2018. So can, can you share with, with the listeners what the, the inspiration uh, for Pollen was and, and where the, uh, the initial idea came from? Yeah, sure, sure. Def- so Pollen, um, Pollen started, actually, you know, interestingly, um, my, my, my co-founder and I, we're, we're best friends. So we went to Indonesia. Uh, we went hiking somewhere in Indonesia, uh, in Medan. Um, it's called a place, a very remote place called Bukit Lawang. So we saw, uh, you know, we met up with people in the villages there and we realized that there was a uh, lack of opportunities. Uh, for people to make uh, more income other than the fact that they just started the tourism industry, you know, after, after the tsunami uh, that hit their, their area sometime in early 2000. So people are just trying to find ways to make more income. There, there isn't really an industry for, uh, providing jobs over there. So we were thinking, you know, there's a lot of, you know, tourism is kind of on the rise, but uh, there, what are some ways where people can work together in their community to 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 have more income, uh, you know, income earning opportunities for the people. So we saw something really interesting there where um, the guides are trying to sell uh, products that they they make themselves, you know, simple arts and crafts things. Um, We thought that, you know, perhaps the village could could, um, source for more supplies and that people can, can start selling the supplies to uh, tourists who are coming into the, the area. So it was just a simple idea where, you know, we started wanting to help more people earn income, um, you know, just coming out of the industry where we do loyalty rewards. Uh, we, we understand the customer satisfaction, um, you know, where we deliver to the end customers of these large telephones, media and retail companies. So we think we, you know, the next step for us was like thinking about what can we do to to put money into people's hands because that's what people are looking for. And, with, and then that coincided with the research that we did, we found out that in Asia, there are about 400 million people who relied on you know, secondary sources of income. In fact, you know, people do 
a lot of sales gigs just to to make uh, you know more money. So we thought that yeah, perhaps maybe there's some ways where we could um, you know work with some of these brands, large brands who are always looking to increase sales um, and you know figure out a way for uh, you know a new model where we can help people work with them directly and then also you know earn an income. So so that was basically the the, the idea how we 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 stumbled upon Pollen. Very cool. And so, so how did Pollen do when you first launched to market, like in the early days? Like, what, what was the, the feedback as you were preparing launch, and what was the feedback whenever you went to market? Um, oh, and, yeah. So, Pollen actually went through, uh, I would say, a few rounds of uh, experiments. Um, when we first started, the hypothesis that we had was to prove that um, with the boom of online direct-to-consumer brands here in Southeast Asia, we could potentially, um, you know, create a new type of reseller program where we outsource the sales, uh, the sales that the the sales uh, work uh, for the, some of these direct-to-consumer brands because the profile of the direct-to-consumer brands in Southeast Asia are such that um, they're just starting out, you know, they want to reduce the cost of, uh, you know, they want to reduce the ad spend, um, they want to figure out a way to work with the community and, you know, give back to the communities by actually outsourcing some of these sales jobs. You know, um, people who have social capital, they might want to um, seize this opportunity to work with direct-to-consumer brands, introducing new products into the market, helping people discover these new products. So that was just the idea. So um, I think we had relative success in, the, in, in that aspect uh, in terms of working with the direct-to-consumer brands. We worked through Shopify's uh, list of you know, uh, direct-to-consumer brands in Southeast Asia that, are, are, you know, really st- that have a you know, storefront presence on Shopify and we wanted to find out uh, why they're not uh, getting the kind of sales that they're looking for. Um, it's kind of like we identified the customer, we thought that was the right customer um and and um you know we had things going for us when we realized yeah it's true they had a problem they want to increase their sales and we have people who are looking to discover new products and also make an income learning you know selling some of these products so we thought you know we could be as pollen as a company we could be in you know the middle person to kind of match this business problem with a you know business need and, and potential solution by being the you know sort of tech platform to facilitate that uh however uh that that excitement was, was rather short-lived after we realized that uh, sometime later, uh, we've built a simple MVP of um, creating an app, you know, an app and then, and then a, a you know, backend tool for the brands to onboard their products, you know, um, and then that enabled the people to access the digital inventory and you can start sharing uh, via the app. And we could track all the seller activity on the app. You know, the brands will receive feedback on how the sellers are doing. Um, we start to hit a, a roadblock uh, in the form of, you know, the sellers are having difficulty, uh, you know, getting the sort of repeat behavior, uh, selling and selling more. Um, also on the supply side of the direct-to-consumer brands, we realized that some of these brands do not have the capacity to, um, fulfill some of these orders that the sellers were, were getting. So, um, and, and that, was, that got us to the realization that some of these brands, while they are on the rise and they are, are new to the market, uh, they have some business challenges that we cannot control and that it really impacted the entire customer you know, experience uh, on our platform. You know, imagine you're a seller, you're trying to sell some products, you, you, made, you made a sale, but your products aren't getting fulfilled. So you will have to face the customer, you know, your end customer company. So the model was rather, 
you know, we have a B to B to agent to the end customer, right? So it's really a complex model. Um, and we can't solve all the problems uh, on the direct-to-consumer uh, brand side because, you know, we wanted to play the, the part of a technology, uh, you know, facilitator. You know, we have a platform we want to match to people. So, um, and then that, that brought us back to our, you know, whiteboard, uh, you know, going back to whiteboard and really, really um, ask ourselves, did we solve enough of the, did we define the problem of the customer, uh, you know, correctly? Did we get the problems correctly? Um, you know, it, it took a while, it took a while to, to uh, you know, to, to really, you know, to really figure out that, you know, perhaps we might have, you know, identified the wrong customer segment to work with, you know, in order to, and, and because our whole model breaks down at a point where we can't solve the problems of these small direct consumer brands were just gaining momentum, getting presence in Southeast Asia. And also the fact that some of these brands are still small to, to really uh, function as a, as a, I would say, a robust e-commerce uh, company that, you know, would be able to meet the daily orders requirement, you know, checking back on their, on the, on the, you know, our dashboard to, to make sure that they are accepting these orders in a timely manner. So we like there's some supply chain issues on the side, on the end. And also some of, and then also at the same time, as we were listening to some of the customer feedback of the sellers, we noticed that the sellers are having, you know, issues with the fact that, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of questions uh, from their end customers who are buying those products. Like, um, can I trust this platform? You know, um, I, I've never heard of this brand. So there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> so a lot of, uh, you know, insights there. But the thing is that, you know, we, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what problem we can really solve to make sure that the model will work again. Um, and, and that got us to the, the, the final realization, which is, we have not identified the right customer uh, segment or not big enough brand. So the brand here, meaning that we identified the brand correct, but we did not identify the right category of brands to work with, which is next, uh, you know, we, we decided to focus on the larger brands, which may take a longer time to work with, but in fact, would ex would have the, the most pain point in terms of getting, you know, resellers and, you know, working with uh, distributors to, to help distribute the products because the larger FMCG brands in Southeast Asia um, they don't have any, you know, transparency or clarity over how their wholesalers or distributors are distributing products. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, pricing manipulation, you know, once, you know, they get their products into the hands of these wholesalers, um, and then they would have to get past, you know, some of the model retail players like the supermarkets, which they are not directly, uh, you know, uh, responsibly involved uh, work for working with because they engage to their middleman, which are some of these micro distributors, distributors and wholesalers. So um, yeah, so the major discovery is really um, identifying the right customer segment, which is this case, which in the, which in this case is the brand category. You know, we're not, you know, um, instead of focusing on the direct to consumer brands, we thought was riding a wave of, you know, um, you know, uh, potentially going to be a huge industry. You know, I think what's about going to be in the U.S. is about forty-one billion dollars industry. So we thought in Asia uh, we had the timing right, the market timing right. So, but it wasn't the case. So in Southeast Asia, uh, we realized that in order to make our business viable and and our platform working, we have to focus on the right uh, customer, which is the larger brands. And and you you kind of had a complex model, like you reduce complexity by going from this. B2B to agent to consumer model to um, a little bit less complex, but still complex in the fact that you had to not only <laughs> not only identify your who right. your customer was in Southeast Asia as the the reseller or the wholesaler. Um, yeah. Sorry, the reseller. Um, but you also had to identify the right customer segment 
in terms of the brands that you would go after. So there, there was a lot of validation that you had to do to, to kind of get it right. That's right. That's right. Yep. So um, for, for someone listening who is trying to find that product market fit, like, like you guys have now found, what, what advice would you give to, to that startup founder or that product manager who is still kind of trying to figure it out? Okay, sure. So I, I could I could offer a few, you know, I could offer some, you know, advice or and, and the wisdom that I, I, I you know, gained uh, and through this period of time as we, you know, we we did a few rounds of uh, validation and testing um, on two levels. One, and if you're an early stage founder, um, and as well as also the chief product uh, officer, right? So it's kind of like you're operating on two planes. You know, one you have to put on your product management hat, another one you have to uh, be the business order. Um, I think you really need to sit down with yourself and ask, um, why do you want to do this business? Why are you doing this business? What is exciting about this, this business space? What's the opportunity you as, as a business that you want to achieve? And then at the same time, as a product, uh, chief, op, uh, chief product officer, um, I think it's really uh, easy to, to get into a, 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 you know, a setting where you want to listen you want to listen to many, to all the different uh, voices in the room. You have your customer's voice, you have your your uh, business, the other business stakeholders' voice. You have your engineering, you know, team voice. Uh, especially after you've validated the idea and you know what goes into the sprint planning and, and product roadmap, right? Um, I really think that uh, in order to balance all that objectives and everyone's voices fair and square equally you really need to focus on the most fundamental uh, of the business which is what is you know who is your customer who is your customer um how do i uncover the needs right so you could do that to uh you know uh maybe the the by defining the problem what is the problem space uh, what is the opportunity there and 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 if if let's say your business stakeholders are giving you feedback, okay, maybe there's a bigger opportunity here, but you know it's going to take a long time for us to execute for this type of customer. Like for example, in our case, uh, we started with direct consumer brands, uh, even though we know that direct consumer brands, unfortunately, you know the market timing might not be right. So I we kind of have that hunch that it might be too early in Southeast Asia because direct to consumer brands like Glossier and uh, you know a couple of other beauty and wellness brands in Southeast Asia are taking off, right? So it might be a need for you know direct you know reseller programs where they really engage the community to to sell for them, but in Southeast Asia we don't really see a lot of direct to consumer brands uh, working that way yet. Although um, in Malaysia here we have a lot of uh, I would say businesses that started by bootstrapping with you know really uh, no funding you know how they grow is by leveraging Instagram platform. Um, the thing is that we need to ask ourselves as, as product owner as well as as founder of the business, um, why do you, what, what really excites you about this opportunity? Who's your target customer? Um, if your business stakeholder, like for example, my other co-founders are saying that we need to go to market early. Uh, there is such an urgency to ship the product early and uh, start getting, you know, paid customers, paying customers um, to, to, to pause and, 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 and make sure you go to that fundamental, uh, you know, uh, validation of like who's your customer, articulating your hypothesis. Um, do you really have have you identified your unique business uh, value proposition here that you can map out into the pro you know translate into product value and subsequently you know build the right set of 
features and experience for that customer. Because um, if you have the right, the wrong customer, and you still be building features, the correct features, you will still not, you know, work. You still will not uh, achieve the kind of success as a business, right? You hit a roadblock later, and you ask yourselves, um, okay, why did my, why did the growth kind of stagnate? Why did I not see, you know, more results? I probably see the results for one customer, but not, you know, across the board. So um, it's really important identify the right customer, uncovering their needs, and also uh, be able to define your value, business value proposition as a, as a business first. If you don't have a simple, straightforward, you know, business model where you can, you know, investors can also understand, then I guess, um, I think nobody can understand it. You don't even you know, understand. I think that would uh, ultimately translate into the product looking uh, bloated and, you know, you, you get a feature creep where you're building a lot of features, but none of the features actually tell you about what problem you, you, you are solving? I would say, I would say really um, focus on the, the two basic, basic features that uh, you can build for after articulating your business value proposition. Um, and start out with just building a, a really basic MVP and, um, and then, you know, sort of test it out and, and learn what the insights are um, and make sure that you are meeting the basic, you know, expectations of, of, of your customer when it comes to problem solving. And then, after, and then you add on uh, what are some of those exciting features, which are, would be the innovative, innovative features that you are, you're value adding to the, the solution. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think you said that really, really well, right? Like there, there's no amount of features that you can build that will work and, and give you success if you haven't defined who your customer is and what their problem is. And kind of going back to what you said early on, right? Like you didn't have the, the customer quite right. And initially in that first iteration, you, you hadn't defined the problem exactly right. But once you did, then, then from there, you're able to build out those features that will be able to satisfy that real need for the real customer. Yeah. So I, I like your advice too about like getting really core about the problem and seeing if you can narrow it down to even two features that solve the core of the problem and then being able to validate that and then build more innovative features from there. I think that's really good. That's right. Yeah. If, if I, I can add, actually, when we first started out, um, the problem of wanting to uh, allow more people to earn income from FSG brands in Southeast Asia because these brands are always looking for a way to increase the bulk order sales in Southeast Asia. Um, it's really, I mean, if you look at the solution and for the, for the, if you look at helping people more income from FSG brands, it's really broad. So we really need to narrowly define what and how these people can work with the you know, FMCG brands because um, if you really know, understand your customer, you realize that there would be a space, a problem space that they're looking to solve really that has a lot of pain points like, oh, it's really hard for me to get past the modern retailers. You know, I don't have insight and clarity over my, my distributors and how do I engage more people um, who are interested to sell our brand, you know, and like they're really open to new after the distribution channels. But if we focus too much on the solution, which is help more people in income, we'll be too focused on reading, you know, the, the right type of experience and feature set for the, the end customer, because our model is so complex, right? It's B2B, A to C, right? Um, we will be forgetting to solve the problem and really narrowly define the exact context that we need to, to, to start building uh, features for. And rightly so, we'll be paying for those features, which are the FMCG brands. We have the most pain points uh, and, and, and looking for you know, a solution to, to 
dedicated to their needs of uh, you know having the transparency, having the access to the distributors. So, yep. Absolutely. So. Liana, where is Pollen today after you're going through the, the different iterations? Um, how are you guys doing and, um, and kind of where are you guys positioned now? So we, right now, you know, we have to rebrand it. And of course, you know, we did a business pivot as well as the product pivot. Uh, we, we are now a community group by platform for FMCG brands, uh, working with people who want to earn uh, more income by becoming micro distributors. So, uh, so the concept of the, the concept what Pollen is uh, innovating upon is the uh, micro distribution network, uh, where we allow any FMCG brands, large brands, you know, in Southeast Asia, um, um, not just the Unilevers and P&Gs, you know, your big, you know, soap, you know, household goods kind of brand, but also the smaller FMCG brands get could potentially, you know, uh, also come on board and work with the community, uh, in enabling the remote sales uh, for people who want to earn more income. So where we are today, we've uh, managed to uh, onboard, I would say, uh, I think how many, was it three different advisors who have inside knowledge in how you know FMCG has been traditionally working with the uh, bulk order selling model with uh, large wholesalers and distributors. Um, I think the insights have been really helpful in, in, in narrowing the problem space and getting the right kind of uh, you know feedback uh, to the problem that we we're trying to, to solve. So we spent we spent we've been spending the last thirty days on the in the problem space, really defining the problem, narrowing and zooming in on the problem. And uh, I think we, we're really excited to now uh, take the problem and, uh, you know, and, and validate these, some of these solution ideas that we have. And, uh, and gone about, uh, went ahead to actually talk to a few investors to validate uh, some of the, our earlier investments uh, in this space. So, for example, I think one of the uh, venture capital company here launched in Southeast Asia, East Ventures, had invested in a similar uh, startup, I think called Budang. Or something. So Gudang has achieved about one billion GMV uh, in sales. Uh, in, in, in so has achieved one billion dollar in GMV uh, by working with the direct uh, by working with this FNCG brands in Southeast Asia to enable a lot uh, different parts of Indonesia rural villages uh, so that people can earn income from these brands by 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 selling. Right? Um, they they sort of uh, shared some insights with us and validated that you know um, it's still a space where uh, they only capturing 6% of the market, that's just Indonesia. So we see that this is large enough uh, opportunity for us to, to, uh, to, to work on. And perhaps even I think we are moving in the right direction in terms of making sure that there, there are other places where people can now, um, uh, who are impacted by COVID-19, they can also look to you know, leverage on this opportunity to make an income and also democratize the old traditional distribution model where if you have to you have to become distributor and you want to work with the fmcg brands you really need to have a base capital of you know maybe five thousand dollars to start working with let's say a milo milo brand milo is this chocolate drink in southeast asia um you have to have a you know if you're a sundry shop in, in indonesia or you are you want to become an asian a micro uh, distributor you would have to have you have to part with five thousand usd dollars um, you know, and that's really significant for anyone in Indonesia, you know, your currency is in rupiah and some of these people don't make more than, uh, you know, 300, 300 USD, I would say, in a month. So 5,000 USD to become a micro distributor is really a lot. So what we're doing with our platform really is to democratize with technology 
um, letting the, the brands identify and sign up some of these micro agents. Um, and then they, they can start selling, you know, without actually uh, having to part with 5,000 USD, but uh, just by having, you know, confirmed orders, group orders, and they can, anyone can become a, you know, a micro distributor and agent for these FMCG brands. So we're cool. really excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should be. And I think it's awesome that you've taken the time to go through these levels of validation because, and now, now that you're in talks with, with venture capitalists and stuff, like you've gotten to the point where if you do get a large infusion of cash, you're ready to scale. You're not going to be wasting that money on trying to continue to validate. You'll be, you'll be ready yeah. to actually grow the business. So I, I think the way that you've approached it and the company's approach is, is uh, excellent. And I appreciate you coming on to share with, with the listeners. So before, before we go, are, are there any uh, product management books or, or any resources that have inspired you or, or helped you in your product journey? I would love to, I mean, I would love to recommend two books. Um, one is the Lean Product Playbook by Dan Olson. Um, it covers the, the six-step you know, actionable process to achieving product market fit. The second book would be to help you become an, you know, become an outstanding product manager, what you're doing, especially as an early stage founder, right? You know, you have to wear both the business and product uh, hats, right? Um, I think it's really important for you to have the tools and techniques to make sure that, you know, you can do your job well. And in my case, what I really learned a lot is the stake, business stakeholder management. So if you have people telling you to move in a certain direction because that is faster or, you know, and, and but that sometimes, you know, get you uh, distracted because if you really want to solve a big opportunity, you know, you have as a business, you, you need to exist because you have a large, you know, big enough opportunity to work on. Um, and then also you're truly, you know, understanding that if you have the ability to really solve some of, you know, uh, the pain points that your target customer can have, you really need to have good stakeholder management, uh, I would say, uh, with your business stakeholders. You need to have, be able to push back. Um, these are some of these techniques that the book covers. Um, other than the fact that I think as any product manager, you'll be juggling with a lot of different things, customer management, you know, stakeholder management, um, you know, road mapping, web typing, all that's fine, you know, but the early, as an early stage founder and also a product, uh, chief product officer, you really need to, you know, achieve the, the balance between those two domains. And sometimes you get caught up, you know, um, you know, uh, by missing, by, by not understanding that, you know, uh, what your other business co-founders want to do or your stakeholders want to say, but it's not necessarily solving the problem. So you have to go back to your fundamentals as a product manager. Um, how do you conceive of an idea? How do you validate an idea? Um, you know, what kind of data gets funneled to you as a as product manager. So uh, you need to have the right tools and techniques to, to be able to navigate those, those, I would say, potentially, you know, problem areas where you could start off in a wrong, I would say, path trajectory. So really, I would recommend that, um, you know, the, the product uh, management uh, toolkit by Mark Abraham. It's really good. Check okay. it out. Cool. I'll have to get both of those books. I haven't, I haven't read either of those, so I feel really bad now. <laughs> cool. And I'll, I'll put links to those in the show notes as well, so the listeners can go find those. So if the listeners want to keep up with what you're doing and, and how Pollen's doing, how do, they, how do they find you and how do they follow you? Um, well, right now, we've, we've just revamped, revamped our website again. I think that would be the 10th time we are editing <laughs> the website. <laughs> So you can still check us out at the pollen.store uh, website. Um, the second resource would be to go to our Medium uh, blog, okay. so com slash community 
uh, dash commas. So you, you you can find exciting updates on our you know hypotheses, validation, idea, and you know some updates on just how we're doing in terms of community commons in Southeast Asia. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes as well. And Liana, thank you again for coming on. It's been such a pleasure talking with you again and, and uh, hearing how Pollen's progressing and kind of the journey of how you've got to where you are. Happy to. My pleasure. That was Liana Suleiman, Chief Product Officer and Co-Founder at Pollen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. If you're already a follower of the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so you can help more people find us. Thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Podcast.